The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another episode of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. And it's here, ladies and gentlemen. It is here. Football is tonight. If you are listening to this on Thursday, as you should, because the Bruce Exclusive, clearly a significant priority in your life, right? Right? Right. So, we made it. Football is tonight. And before we get into the preview for the Jets game, which will come tomorrow on tomorrow's podcast, we have a boatload of things to talk about, ladies and gentlemen, a boatload. We are going to jump right into it, and it is going to be eclectic. No question. Super eclectic. First off, congratulations are in order. To The Athletic, for their one millionth subscriber today. You all know Joe Biscaglia, Tim Graham, Matthew Fairburn, specifically for the Bills, that do such a great job for The Athletic. One million subscribers. I've said before that Bills Mafia is very fortunate to have the media and content creators that they do. And Tim, Matthew Fairburn, Joe Biscaglia, they're a big part of that for Bills Mafia. So I commend them and the rest of the athletic team on achieving 1 million subscribers, and I wish them good luck into the future. The Bills have done some stuff over the last week. I don't know if you've heard, but they did some things, and we're going to react quickly to them. By now, you will have gotten the vast majority of the reactions of the people that you really care about. But I want to make sure I weigh in, too. I had a chance to talk a little bit about Tredavious White's extension, with Anthony Marino on the Breaking Buffalo Rumblings slash Bruce exclusive dual episode that came out immediately following the information. I hope you enjoyed that. It was kind of weird being on 
an episode with Anthony and having stuff break in real time. That's never happened to me before. I have had some stuff where stuff broke immediately after I was done recording. You all remember the the free agency of 2020 and how I had to make multiple pods, <laughs> breaking news pods. It was a it was quite a fun time on Bill's Twitter and Bill's pods in general. But I want to talk a little bit about the Tredavious White extension. I want to talk about the 53-man roster. I want to talk about Milano. I want to talk about the team captains. And we're going to do a record prediction. So we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. Let's start with the Tredavious White deal. I've already talked about what a great deal it was. Jalen Ramsey signed his deal today and immediately makes the Bills look even better for signing Tredavious White to what they did when they did it. If there was anybody out there who was not a believer in the deal, I'm not sure I have anything left to tell you. The idea that the next two years cap hit will be increased only by the prorated portion of Tredavious White's signing bonus, and then by the time his average salary jumps to 17.5, $17.5 million a year will not be elite cornerback money anymore. It'll be very good cornerback money. By then, Marshawn Lattimore might have gotten 21.5 and Marlon Humphrey may have gotten 22 and we might have some other people come around. But 17 and a half is going to look like an absolute bargain. So I am completely over the moon about the Tredavious White deal. And I really don't have a ton else to say about it. Aside from that, I don't. I don't see how you could make an argument that it's a bad deal unless you think Tredavious White's a bad player or he's going to become a bad player. Those are the only things that you could say that would provide any reasonable counter to someone saying, hey, this is a good deal for this team. And I don't think either one of them is really based in anything factual. So the Tredavious White extension I'm very excited about. What does it mean for Matt Milano? Brandon Bean was on WGR talking about it and said, hey, you know, I don't think it's going to happen this year. If there is a question as to whether or not the team is capable of signing Matt Milano, the answer is yes. They are capable of signing Matt Milano based on their projected cap space for next year, based on what we know enough about the Tredavious White cap hits over the next two years. The answer is yes. The Bills can re-sign Matt Milano. We'll have a different discussion next year. But as far as the binary goes, can they or can't they? The answer is yes, they can. So alleviate that concern. They absolutely can. That doesn't mean it won't be tight, but they absolutely can. So don't think about that. I came into this offseason and I actually tweeted. I said, you know, $90 million is not enough cap space to extend Jordan Phillips, Shaq Lawson, Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins, Jordan Poyer, also play significantly in free agency, also be able to sign your rookie class. And on that one, I was right. It's not enough to do it all in one offseason. Brandon Bean said they have about $5 million right now in cap space. That's probably not enough to do an extension with Matt Milano. One of the things I think is interesting is whenever a team will sign a player to an extension and someone quote tweets that and says the salary cap is a myth. They don't understand what it did to that salary cap hit that year. In a lot of cases, when you have someone playing on a franchise tag 
or you have someone on their fifth year option, there are cases when doing the extension actually lowers the cap hit for that year. This idea that just because you're signing someone to a five-year, $100 million contract, that means their cap hit this year went up. That might not necessarily be the case, depending on the deal they were previously coming from. Matt Milano, however, is coming from a very cheap deal as a day three pick from multiple years ago. So there isn't any sort of reasonable likelihood that an extension from Matt Milano lowers his cap hit because the deal he's coming from is incredibly cheap as far as cap hit per year. Now, if he was on a franchise tag, that would be different. So it's really important that you understand that the contract you're coming from has to be compared to the contract you're going to when it comes to whether or not it creates cap room this year or not, or whether or not it uses a bunch of cap room this year. There are plenty of extensions that remain cap neutral this year. And then people are like, well, look, they didn't have any money and they managed to get an extension done with so-and-so because the only thing people are looking at is cap room this year. If you could see the big picture from a perspective standpoint and how the cap moves around and fluctuates as you start to do these deals, you wouldn't come up with the conclusion that the cap is a myth. I am planning on a podcast at some point. I was not able to get it done this offseason because I had too much other stuff going on about how the cap is not a myth. It's coming. So just be ready for crazy Uncle Bruce to do some cap discussions next offseason. So yes, the Bills can do a deal with Matt Milano at a market rate next offseason. That is not off the table because of the Tredavious White deal. So it's really important that we understand that. I want to take a second to talk about Tredavious White's press conference that he gave regarding his deal. If you haven't had an opportunity to go look at that press conference, please do. It is worth your time to understand the type of player that is the best player on your favorite team. Because that's what Tredavious White is. He's the best player on this team, and I don't think it's particularly close. I did a podcast with Pat Moran, the Talking Buffalo podcast. We power ranked the top 20 bills for 2020. Number one was clearly Tredavious White. He's the best player on this team. He's one of the top two at his position in the league. And when your best player is that type of person, it matters. In basketball, it has long been discussed that the most important relationship on the team is between the coach and the team's best player. I don't think that's true to the same level in football because the rosters are so much bigger, but I think it matters what the character of your best player is. And when you listen to Tredavious White talk about what this extension means to him, it draws a very significant parallel between people who think that they own their stuff and people who think that they're stewards of their stuff. We're going to talk about this because it's related to Tredavious White and the type of individual that he is. I saw something interesting on Twitter not too long ago, and it was a video clip with sound from a basketball game where the color commentator was talking about team culture. And he was talking about whether or not 
your players feel entitled or responsible? Are they entitled to things or are they responsible for things? How is it that they view their authority and their power as players? How is it they view themselves? And it got me thinking a little bit about Tredavious White. And when he mentioned all the good he was going to be able to do with the assets that were provided to him by this contract, that showed me that Tredavious White views himself as a steward of his things, a steward of his time, a steward of his money, a steward of his relationships. See, when you own something, you have a tendency to treat it as lesser. You acquired it. It's yours. You can do what you want with it. When you believe yourself to be a steward of things, you believe that those things were entrusted to you and as such, you are responsible for them. Those two things are connected. If you are a steward of something, you are responsible for it. If you own something, you are entitled to it. That's the difference. That's why you can be comfortable giving Tredavious White the highest paid at the time cornerback contract in NFL history because he believes he's a steward of his money and a steward of his time and that is his responsibility to use those things appropriately. Those are the type of people you want to give fat contracts to Those are the type of people that the process is all about. We're going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We are going to talk about some depth chart, some roster moves. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Thanks for coming back after the commercial. We talked about the Trey White deal, its effect on Milano. We are going to talk a little bit about the 53-man roster right now. Overall, there were some things I got right, some things I got wrong. In the event that you don't know what I'm talking about in regards to right and wrong, go back and listen to last Friday's podcast, Dueling 53-Man Roster Projections with Greg Tomset. It's even funnier to go back and listen to those things now, now that you know the answers to the test. Now that you know how it worked out, it's kind of funny. It's a little bit like watching the Star Wars prequels and knowing the little kid ends up being Darth Vader. It gives you a new kind of appreciation for the storyline and the storytelling because you're not focused on how it's going to turn out anymore. You're focused on the method by which you get there. So, first off, Delshawn Phillips, I got nothing. Literally nobody. Nobody I know, nobody in the media, none of the content creators I know. None of them had Delshawn Phillips making the team. So good for Delshawn Phillips. He was a heck of an athlete. He covered well in college. He had some some pretty fun tape last preseason with Atlanta. I just didn't hear a peep about him. Good for Delshawn making the team. Over Voshan Joseph, who was a draft pick of this regime. I think that's good. Obviously, going with Reggie Gilliam, I predicted correctly as the fourth tight end. 
Now, I thought they were going to keep Patrick DeMarco as well and then use Gilliam to hedge against DeMarco's injury, but they decided to Patrick DeMarco to IR and then releasing him from IR with a settlement. This is the end of Patrick DeMarco's tenure in Buffalo. And I think in the event that we decide we want to use formations that require a fullback, we'll use Reggie Gilliam. But I would anticipate us being in 21 less than ever this year. There may be specific game plans when we decide to do that. And in those cases, Reggie Gilliam is naturally the person who will be there. But to me, it points even more toward 11 personnel is where this team is going. That's where they are as a team. That's where the talent fits. So that's interesting for sure. I think the other thing that's interesting is Jake Fromm being kept as the third quarterback. I was not in favor, but there's been a twist in that story. And that was Jake Fromm wasn't at practice today for the Bills. And when asked, they essentially said they're they're essentially sequestering Jake Fromm. And that makes it interesting because that means Jake Fromm isn't really QB3. Actually, Jake Fromm's kind of QB4. Because think about it. There are three quarterbacks at practice. Josh Allen, Matt Barkley, and then Davis Webb on the practice squad running scout team. There's one quarterback not at practice. So... In the event that Josh Allen and Matt Barkley were to suddenly be stricken, knock on wood, you can't hear me, I just knocked on wood, with something that means they cannot play next week, the person who would be first man up would not be Jake Fromm, as far as I'm concerned. It would be pulling Davis Webb off the practice squad. Jake Fromm is your break glass in case of emergency quarterback, but I think it's actually kind of more likely he's QB4. Now, this is the first day this happened. We haven't had a chance by the time I'm recording this to really talk to Sean McDermott about what that would be like, so I could be wrong. But it seems to me that Jake Fromm is QB3 only on paper because he's being sequestered away from the team and he's a break class in case of emergency in the event that a COVID wave sweeps in and takes Matt Barkley, Davis Webb, and Josh Allen. Then they can have one person who wasn't within contact tracing of those people who can swoop in and hand the ball off 40 times because that's probably what that game plan would look like. So if you think of Jake Fromm as QB4, it might be a little bit better than thinking of Jake Fromm as QB3. Just an interesting thought, just something that occurred to me on my way home today. I came home from work today and I had a Reese's Outrageous candy bar. I don't know if you're familiar with this candy bar, but it's a very loud, noisy candy bar. There's a lot going on. And normally I'm, I'm a very simple kind of guy. I like my food simple. I appreciate simplistic flavors, but I need a little sugar boost. So man, you can just call me Wreck-It Ralph because I'm on a sugar rush because it was, it was something. I'm not a huge sugar guy. I had that. I needed it because it's going to be a long pod and I have to record another one right after this. And I'm writing an article. Whew, it's a tough Wednesday for Bruce. You're getting this on Thursday, but this is my whole Wednesday night, basically. So that's the Jake Fromm thing. And a very odd aside, I'm the kooky uncle of Bill's Mafia. You guys know that. I'm going to go on a weird aside about Maurice's candy bars. It's a thing. Follow me. Anyway, depth chart reactions today. Cody Ford, right guard and right tackle. Sean McDermott is a sneaky man, dude. He will not give you an inch. Not even an inch. If he thinks he can acquire one snaps worth of competitive advantage, he will take it. 
and I can't really blame him. It's weird, and I like to poke fun at him for it, but I'd probably do the same thing. If you can only get one snap of competitive advantage, it's still worth it. He doesn't owe us that information. I personally think that Cody Ford's going to end up being the right guard, but I still don't know because he was listed as co-starter with multiple people at right guard and then co-starter with multiple people at right tackle. If I was a betting man, I would bet that Cody Ford's going to be the right guard week one and Daryl Williams will be the right tackle week one with Ty and Secchi as a swing tackle. That's what I think. But it was interesting to see that on the depth chart. Everything else was pretty much as you would expect Josh Norman who I've been saying was going to come out of camp with a CB2 job, was listed as being CB2. We'll see if the hamstring allows him to roll out there as CB2, but it looks like that's the intent. The Bills also announced team captains today. On offense, Josh Allen and Deion Dawkins, no surprise there. On defense, Jerry Hughes and Jordan Poyer. Jerry Hughes being a captain is very interesting to me. Jordan Poyer over his positional teammate, Micah Hyde, is interesting to me. Jerry Hughes has been very vocal this offseason about some of the social justice issues that he's taking part in. And you wonder if the team has seen that and responded to that in naming him captain. I'm going to spike the ball a little bit on special teams with Reed Ferguson. And that's right, Andre Roberts being a captain. That's right, baby. I did an entire podcast on keeping Andre Roberts, and now he's a captain. What? What? I know we cut him, and my heart raced for a brief second, but that was all part of the plan. It was all part of the plan to get Feliciano to IR, to get Isaiah Hodgins to IR, and then bring Dean Marlowe and Andre Roberts back. I'm glad they did that. So those are the captains. The last thing we are going to do today is we are going to do a record prediction for the Buffalo Bills. If you have not had an opportunity, I did a podcast with the gentleman over at Crippling Mediocrity, which is the name of their podcast, and I did a Josh Allen stat line prediction for 2020, and I did a record prediction. So we're going to go ahead and do the record prediction again here because I want to make sure I elaborate on it a little bit. Allow me to fill you in on the method by which I pick NFL games historically. I know you're shocked that I have a system for this. Your jaw just dropped and hit the floor when I said that. You are floored that I have a system for this. You may recall I did a podcast with NYUpInSyracuse.com's Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot last week. And on that podcast, I talked about my quarterback tiers for 2020. If you haven't had an opportunity to do that, it's called the Shout Podcast. Please find it wherever you find this podcast and listen to it. We had a nice organic discussion about quarterbacks and the way that you rank them. And I have them in tiers. Every year I re-tier the quarterbacks. I have previously discussed that quarterbacks are the number one reason why you win and lose a game. They are the plurality. They're the biggest section. They're not the majority, and they're not nearly significant enough for me to be able to equate the entire thing as a quarterback statistic. Wins and losses, not a quarterback stat. However, they are the single biggest reason why you win and lose a game. So the way that I typically pick 
games is I have tiers of quarterbacks. And if one quarterback is two tiers ahead of another quarterback, I will immediately take that game. If it's Russell Wilson against Sam Darnold and Russell Wilson is in tier one and Sam Darnold is in tier three, the decision is done. I'm taking the Seahawks, period. If they are within one tier of each other, tiering next to each other, I will then move on to the next factor. And the next factor is coaching. And I did coaching tiers as well. And if there is a coach that is two tiers higher than another coach, then I will stop and pick that one. If it is Bill Belichick against Pete Carroll, I will take Bill Belichick, who is in tier one versus Pete Carroll, who is lower than that. If the coaches are within one tier of each other, I will move on to the third factor, which is the remaining 52. The other 52 players on that roster, as far as talent goes, relative to the quarterback. So we've taken the quarterback out. We've taken the coaching out. They're close enough that it could go either way. Then we move on to the next thing, which is the additional 52, the other 52, the remainder of team, as they call it. And then that will be the tiebreaker. Whichever remainder 52, I think, is more talented. So those are the three-step process that I go through when I'm picking games. I go, okay, first off, is there a significant gap at quarterback? If yes, take the higher quarterback. If no, move on to the next thing. The next question is, is there a significant gap in coaching? If yes, pick the higher coach. If no, move on to the next thing. The next thing, the third thing, the final thing is who has the more talented other 52? And then that will be who I pick for the game. So it's a three-step process. You can kind of see it as like a workflow in your head. First thing is, is there a significant gap of quarterback? If yes, done. If no, move on to the next thing. The next thing is, is there a significant gap in coaching? If yes, pick the coach. If no, move on to the last thing. Last thing is, who has the more talented team? So that's the way that I historically pick games. It has worked pretty well for me as far as straight win-loss records. That's the method by which I do it. And that's reason why my predictions look like this. Week one, New York Jets win. Why? I think Allen and Darnold are very close. I think Sean McDermott's a markedly better coach than Adam Gase. Stopped. Week two, Miami win. I think that Allen is on a similar tier as Ryan Fitzpatrick right now. He could be different by week two. He could take a huge step forward this year. Right now, that's the way I wouldn't see it. I think Brian Flores is a good coach, just like Sean McDermott, which we have to go to the next step, which is the final step. Who has a more talented remaining 52? Bills or Dolphins? I take Bills, therefore win. Three, the Rams. Bills win. They are now 3-0. I think Jared Goff and Josh Allen are close enough to move on to the next thing. I think that Sean McDermott and Sean McVay are close enough to move on to the last thing. I think the Bills' remaining 52 is more talented than the Rams' remaining 52. Moving on. Week four, Las Vegas win. 
I'm now predicting the Bills to go 4-0. I think that Derek Carr is in a similar tier of quarterbacks as Josh Allen. And I think Sean McDermott's a better coach than John Gruden. Five, Tennessee, loss. I think that Ryan Tannehill played markedly better than Josh Allen last year. But they're close enough to make it not a definitive thing for me. So I move on. Mike Vrabel, Sean McDermott. I think Sean McDermott's a better coach than Mike Vrabel. I do. But it's close enough to have me move on. Then the remaining 52, again, very, very close. This is a really, really difficult game for me to pick. What it boils down to for me is I think their 52 is very close stars. I think their quarterback's a little better than ours. And I think their coach is a little worse than ours. This is a toss-up game for me. I went loss for the Bills. Kansas City, I went loss. Patrick Mahomes is markedly better than Josh Allen. By my rules, by the way I set it up, Kansas City, loss. New York Jets, week seven, win. New England, eight, win. Cam Newton might be in a similar tier as Josh Allen right now. He might not recapture that form. I don't know. But it's enough of a question mark for me to move on to the next thing. I think Bill Belichick's a very good coach. I think he's the best coach in the league. But I think it's close enough from a tiering standpoint. I have Sean McDermott in tier number two, Bill Belichick in tier number one, for me to move on to the remaining 52. And the remaining 52 favors the Bills. I take a win against New England in week eight. Week nine, Seattle, loss. Russell Wilson's too good. I think I think Sean McDermott's a better coach than Pete Carroll. I understand that Pete Carroll has a, a ring, but we talked about this when I did the head coaching tiers pod. I think that Seattle had one amazing draft and has been living off of the fruits of that labor and Russell Wilson for a long time. I think Sean McDermott's a better coach than Pete Carroll. So it doesn't matter in this case, but it's kind of neat to know. It doesn't matter because Russell Wilson's a markedly better quarterback than Josh Allen. So I went with Seattle. Arizona, win. You know, everyone's predicting this breakout from Kyler Murray, and it might happen, but I'll, I'll wait to see it first. He made some impressive throws on film, but he had the ninth most dropbacks in the league, and he wasn't better than ninth in a lot of metrics when it comes to evaluating passing opportunities for patch, passing success. It wasn't super there for him, so he might have a breakout year, but I think that expecting it is a little odd. And I think that he and Josh Allen are close in the tiers. I think that Sean McDermott's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. And I think that the remaining 52 is better for the Bills. The Chargers, I have a win. I don't think that it matters who the quarterback is. I think Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert will both be worse quarterbacks than Josh Allen this year. I think Anthony Lynn's a good coach. I think the remaining 52, specifically on the offensive line and losing Derwin James, gives me a favoring of the Bills. San Francisco, loss. They're an extremely talented team, and I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in the league. Pittsburgh, loss. I think there's a reasonable chance that Ben Roethlisberger comes back this year and is the key to that team. 
the Pittsburgh Steelers were right there in the playoff hunt last year with Duck freaking Hodges as their quarterback. They got Ben Roethlisberger back and they injected some motion and some dynamism into their offense by bringing in Matt Canada to work with it. Pittsburgh's a loss. Denver, loss. I think Drew Locke has a chance to be a good quarterback this year. I have him and Josh Allen in similar tiers. I think that the Denver coach, Vic Fangio, I wouldn't take him over Sean McDermott, but it's close enough. And Denver's an extremely talented team. Their weapons on offense, if their tackles can hold up, their weapons on offense have a chance to be special. And even with the loss of Von Miller, which I actually considered changing this pick due to the loss of Von Miller, that's how impactful of a player he is. I decide to stick with my guns, go loss. I would much rather be taking Denver earlier in the year. I do not want their weapons to have a chance to gel. I do not want them to have a chance to get their rhythm before I play them. I want to play them early, and unfortunately, we're not playing them early. Week 15, loss, Denver. Week 16, New England, at New England. I have a loss. Well, how on earth, Bruce, can you split with a team using the rules that you already established? Well, let me tell you. When it's close enough, I can move things for home field advantage. And that's what I'm doing. I do think it's close enough for that. Bill Belichick is the best coach in the league, in my opinion. I think that if Cam Newton holds up, he might be playing at his best at the end of the year. And the Patriots, being a running team, might have started to grind away at people and really find their footing with the power running game. I have that as a loss. Week 17, Miami, I have as a win. That makes the Bills 9-7. and seven. The wins are the Jets, Miami, the Rams, the Raiders, the Jets, New England, Arizona, the Chargers, Miami. The losses are Tennessee, Kansas City, Seattle, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Denver, New England. That's nine and seven. It might be a little bit more pessimistic than you were expecting. Perhaps. I'll believe it from Josh Allen when I see it. I am rooting like absolute heck. I will believe it from Josh Allen when I see it. I'm sorry if that seems a little pessimistic, and I'm sorry if you're mad at me. I do think 9-7 and seven is enough to be a playoff team this year, and I do think the playoff experience from last year is enough for them to potentially be a better team this year with a lesser record. And that's important. That does not mean I think this is a lesser team than a year ago. It's not. I think it's a better team than a year ago. It's just a tougher schedule. Even if Josh Allen's exactly the same as he was last year, this team could still be better because of the additions they made on the defensive line. The addition of Zach Moss. The addition of Stephon Diggs. This team could be better even if Josh Allen, the isolated variable in the equation, remains the same. If he steps forward, like I think he will step a little bit forward, this team could be better and still be 9-7. and seven. I think in order for this team to be 11-5 and five and 12-4, and four, Josh Allen needs to be markedly better. He needs to be moving up a tier. Because if you think about it, if he moves up a tier based on the rules that I have already established that I use to pick games, 
That has a serious impact on the Tennessee game, the Seattle game, the San Francisco game, the Pittsburgh game, and the Denver game, and the New England game later in the year. That's a big swing. So when you say it comes down to Josh Allen, that's what it means. Josh Allen's improvement is the difference between 9-7 and and 12-4. and And I'm ready. I am so excited. I am so excited to be part of this with you. I am so excited to be doing this pod and talking to you every week. Please make sure that you are getting me your hashtag almighty takes. Either DM me on Twitter, tweet me, hashtag almighty take, or shoot me an email. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com with your almighty takes for next week's game. I already have all the stuff for the Jets game. I'm about to record it as soon as we're done here. I'll take a break. Maybe have some more ice cream. Try and get myself a little wired up. Maybe I'll try and see if I can find some cookies and cream ice cream. Because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.